This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I want to start off with telling you a story. So it was a few years ago now, so I can't remember, maybe about 10 years ago. Um, I went skiing for not the first time, but the second time. So the first time I was in my early 20s, um, but about a few years ago, we went skiing again. And um, I have never skied, obviously, so I go over to the, the Bunny Hill, and they have this little, this little hut where you go and you pay your money to take lessons on the Bunny Hill. So before I get to that hut, though, I run into, um, you know, the ski instructor, and this is in Montreal, so this ski instructor, he's French, and he's all, like, decked out in this amazing ski suit, and he looks really, really confident, and, you know, blonde hair, he's kind of tanned, and, you know, he looks like he should be doing all those kinds of sports things, so it's good that that's the instructor, but he comes, and he just comes, you know, skiing up, and, and it's just this, you know, lovely little swoosh, and he stops in front of me and he says, ah, you need training for skiing. And I said, yes. And he said, okay. He said, you go over there, you pay $25, and I am going to teach you to fall down. And I said, <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> I will go over there and I will pay $25, and you are going to teach me to stand up. <laughs> That actually did not happen to me. Um, that is a, a comedian who shares that story. But I thought it would come across better as a personal story. Um, it just kind of, you know, highlights something for me, though, that in skiing, if you want to learn to stand, you have to learn to fall. And you have to learn to fall correctly so that you can get up quickly and so that you don't get injured terribly or not at all, hopefully, and you can get back up on your skis and you can keep going. So you need to learn how to fall in order to stand. And um, my daughter, Brianna, she is in Halifax right now. She actually coaches gymnastics at this stage, um, but she used to be in provincial gymnastics. And so I texted her when I was getting ready for this message, and I just said, hey, hun, um, I don't really recall watching this, but you know, did, when you were in competitive gymnastics, did they teach you how to fall? She said, yeah, absolutely. And as a coach, she teaches her, her uh, group how to fall so that they can get back up on the, you know, they're doing flips on a four-inch beam, right? Um, and so in competitive gymnastics, and, and I thought that was interesting that she said, not necessarily in recreational, but in competitive gymnastics, they specifically teach the gymnasts how to fall so they can get up quickly so that they don't get injured and they can start to stand again. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting because... You know, God, too, when we come into Christianity, sometimes we, don't, we struggle to stand up. We struggle to not fall. Um, but sometimes God comes along inside and he says, in order for you to be competitive, I need to teach you how to fall correctly. I need to teach you how to fall without injuring yourself terribly so that you can stand. And as we go along throughout this message, you realize that I'm not talking about God teaching you to fall into sin uh, it's another type of falling, but we're going to get into that as we go through the message today. And I just wanted to share a real skiing story with you. So, yeah, 10 years ago, I did go skiing for the second time. That part is true. Um, and so I went up on the hill, 
and the hill that I was supposed to go on, I should have been able to traverse down it, no problem whatsoever, but they put this particular mountain had a hill that you had to go through, um, I think it was a blue section before you got to the green section. So you come off of the ski lift onto this blue section, and then you had to go, go um, kind of at the top of this hill and then down the hill and around a corner, and then you would hit the green. I would have been okay with the green, but it was the little bit of the blue <laughs> that really got me. So I get off the lift and I'm skiing, and uh, Richard is behind me. Brianna, our daughter, she's like, she loves to just tuck herself in and boom, off she goes down the hill. I, on the other hand, was like, whoa, you know, I'm, I can't, you know, my legs weren't strong enough. I wasn't keeping my skis together properly, all these kinds of things. I should have been trained before, but I didn't do that. That's really stupid. Don't do it. Um, so I'm going down the blue part of the hill. So I hit the top of the hill and I'm curving down and I just, it, I just lost it. I couldn't do the traverse, I couldn't get my skis to turn so that I could traverse, traverse that area uh, correctly. Um, and so I'm tumbling and I'm falling and there's a ski left behind and I actually end up with my legs like twisted like this and a ski stuck into the snow. And um, Richard's behind me and as he comes around the hill, he sees a ski. And then he sees a pole and he's starting to go, uh-oh. <laughs> And then he sees me, and by the time he gets swooshed up to me, because he's a good skier, I'm like, help, get me out of this, get my ski off, get my ski off, because I had totally, like, turned my knee. Um, and then as I got up, I realized I totally wrenched my shoulder as well. And um, it took me weeks to heal from that shoulder injury, and I ran a daycare at that stage, so I had to take care of six little ones every day. Um, eventually, it actually did help me because with a soft tissue injury, it actually is uh, great that you use it, and I had to lift kids up constantly, that kind of thing. So I did heal really, really well, but the moral of that story is that now, I tried to go skiing again, and I cried on the bunny hill. <laughs> Like, I'm like, I'm really ashamed to say that, but I totally cried on the bunny hill, and I said, I can't do this. And so I ended up going back into the chalet and watching Richard and Brianna go flying down the hill and having a great time. I watched movies on my little iPad um, and ate lunch with them, and that was all I could do because I just could not get past the, the fear. And so at this stage, I'm so afraid of learning to, how to ski because I'm so afraid of falling. So even at this, at this stage, I'm really scared to even go and get trained to ski because I'm so afraid of falling even on the little hill, the little bunny hill. And, you know, that, that story brought up the question for me, how many of us don't move past our comfort zones, don't move past the, the things that would cause us to stretch ourselves or to challenge ourselves because we're so afraid of falling? But God says, I want to come alongside of you and I want to train you correctly so that you know how to fall properly, so that you don't get hurt, so that you can get back up quickly and you can stand and you can carry on. Many of you here that have been in part of impact for quite a while, and specifically if you have gone through an encounter retreat, you may have heard one or all three of your pastors say to you, quick down, quick back up. Right? Has anybody heard that from us? What I want to say with that, that is very, very true. It is a quick down and a quick get back up. 
But what we don't want to miss is we don't want to miss, if we, quick, if we fall into sin, we don't want to miss one of the stages of repentance. We don't just sin and then put it behind us and go, oh, okay, that was a mistake, and we just get back up and we try to go again, because you're going to fall again, and it may be, cause more damage later. But what we want to do is we want to learn how to, to fall properly so that we can get, get back up quickly, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus in on how do, you, how do you get back up quickly with the proper um, biblical way that God has for us so that you can quick fall, quick back up. You know, um, the Bible, obviously, as God is teaching his people, he wants us to be able to stand firm in our faith. And we often want to, we want to stand firm in our faith without ever falling. Amen. Um, but the Bible literally says that if you fall, if you sin, then you have a mediator that can help you to stand. And we want to access that mediator. But how many of us, um, you know, we have a hard time being able to step outside of our comfort zones and do those things that we really, really want to do, again, because we're just too afraid to fall. You know, so spiritually, uh, we want to look at this concept of falling, and that's why I've called, um, not there yet, Slomi, can you go back? I've called this message, Fall Up. I wanted to use another term other than stand, because we can have a, a, an immediate connotation to that word, and I wanted to use the word fall up because there will be times when we do fall. I don't know about you, but I'm a pastor and there I sin probably daily. Do I want to? Absolutely not. Does it happen unconsciously sometimes? Yes. But I need to know how to fall upwards so that I can continue to stand. Does it get less and less in our lives, the type of sin that we might fall into or, or how often that might happen? Absolutely. Um, but there isn't any one of us that does not fall short of the glory of God at least once a day. There just isn't. And if, and if you think so, then you're lying and you need to come now and repent. <laughs> we'll teach you how to fall up quickly right now. Um, so that happens for all of us um, very, very quickly. So we need to learn how to fall up quick, correctly. Um, if you think about King Saul and King David, um, I wanted to use them as examples because they were both kings. And King David, of course, took over for King Saul when King Saul was... Um, outside of that kingly office, but I wanted to use those because they are basically on the same mountain. They're skiing the same mountain. And when we look at them, King Saul, he ended up falling incorrectly. He didn't know how to fall up. And when he sinned, uh, when he disobeyed God, he eventually ended up um, dying on his own sword. Uh, but King David, we know King David, when he sinned, he sinned with Bathsheba in adultery. But he learned to fall correctly, and he ended up staying in his kingly office, so much so that the Jesus that we serve today is considered uh, the son of David. Isn't that fabulous? That's amazing. So I'm going to, later on, as we're going to pick that up again, but I just wanted to give them as an example of that we can fall, and we can fall incorrectly, or we can fall and we can fall correctly and learn to stand. You know, number one, uh, one of the things I want us to take a look at as we're learning to fall up is to understand the difference between a mistake and a sin. Is there anybody here who has um, 
ever heard, and I'm not saying you've, you've said it, but you might have, but that's not, <laughs> and you don't even have to put your hand up for this. Um, there's a possibility that you may have even said this, that you have declared a sin a mistake. Um, but that is a mistake to do so, because what that does is it actually ends up leaving us in a place of bondage instead of recognizing it for the sin that it is and being, be, being able to repent of it so that we can be free from it. Um, you know, our culture, we like to intermix those words of mistake and sin, and we try to make sin exactly the same understanding as what a mistake is. And, um, you know, the difference, the importance of, the, of knowing the difference for that is this, that because too many of us are calling sins a mistake, and they are comforting the, we are comforting ourselves in our sin instead of repenting and allowing God to pull us out of our pit into freedom. You know, there are certain meanings to certain words that are very, very important in the Christian walk. And one of them is the word sin. In our culture and in our day, and you may have come across this, that people don't want to hear you say and declare to them, that's a sin. The moment you say that's a sin, they instantly feel judged. Are we judging? No. But what we're saying is, is that is a sin, but our culture has lost the meaning of what is a sin and what does that mean exactly. Um, they want to be able to say that their, their sin is just a mistake and there is no need for repentance, there is no need for a savior, there is no need for Jesus Christ in their lives. You know, um, again, the biblical example of King Saul's, um, when he disobeyed, so when he fell, um, what happened was he was king and he was anointed for that office and, and he was running Israel and God had said to him, now is the time for you to go and I want you to go with your troops and with your soldiers and I want you to annihilate all of the Amalekites. And the Amalekites, God wanted to punish them because their sin had, had gotten to its fullness and one of their sins was when Israel was coming out of Egypt and going uh, to the promised land in the desert, the Amalekites were the ones that came up against the Israelites. So at this stage in the Israelite um, kingdom, in the Israelite life with God, God said to King Saul, I want you to go and I want you to annihilate all of the Amalekites. Don't leave anything untouched. Kill everything. And when we read those scriptures in the Old Testament, it might make us recoil because it, it literally says men, women, children, animals, everything. Don't leave anything untouched. So King Saul, he goes up against the Amalekites and he kills a lot of things, but he ends up coming back with the king of, Amalekite, of, of Amalek, Amalekites. Yeah, He came back with King Agag and he kept him alive. And they brought, and his soldiers brought back what they considered spoils. So they brought back some of the animals that they thought were not uh, diseased or ill or, um, or um, damaged in any way. They brought back what they thought was good instead of killing it all like God had said. And when we're taking that scripture in, I just want to make this spiritual application that what God was saying was, these are your enemies. You can't let anything of your enemies survive. You must annihilate all of it. You must annihilate all of the enemy. But 
because King Saul thought there was something that was good in it, he kept some of it, and it ended up being his downfall because he ended up disobeying God. But Saul thought he was just making a mistake instead of sinning. And this is what God ended up saying to King Saul. It says, 1 Samuel 15, 20-23, it says, Then Saul said to Samuel, Samuel was the prophet uh, who came in on behalf of God, and said, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And Samuel said to him, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Just because of that one moment of disobedience, and this is the scary part of it, is that King Saul remained in his office as king, but he no longer had God's anointing and favor on his life. To me, that is very, very scary to be a leader to be somebody overseeing something and to remain in that office, remain in that role, but not have the favor and the blessing of God on you anymore just because of his disobedience. But King Saul wanted to to consider that just a mistake. And as I'm not going to read through those scriptures, but if you were to continue on in those passages, you would see that King Saul, it says that he repented, but he really didn't because the next thing he says is, but now honor me in front of all the people. I don't want the people to know that I've disobeyed you, God, and I'm going to give voice to my repentance but now honor me in front of everything. He didn't humble himself and mourn and repent before God. He just gave lip service to it. So he thought it was a mistake and not a sin. And so there is is, um, a difference in that. But King David, if you look at King David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, and again, the prophet Samuel comes to David and he shares a story with David to to convict him and convince him uh, what he had done was wrong. Then King David, he, he repented in dust and ashes, and he mourned that he had sinned. And you know what? Even David says in Psalm 51, I said, he says, I, didn't even, I did sin against other people. I didn't sin against them, but I sinned ultimately against my God. That's true repentance. And you know what? King David also stayed in his office, and although there were consequences and there were repercussions to his sin, because God is a God of justice. There are consequences to our sins. And although we are forgiven, there are still things that will play out because of those sins, just because there are consequences. So David had consequences, but he remained in his office with the anointing and the favor and the blessing of God on him. And he ended up carrying his throne to the end. And again, so much so that Jesus Christ is the one that we serve today as the son of David. Isn't that amazing? So it is very important that we do understand the difference between a mistake and a sin. Because if you're going to fall incorrectly, if you think you're just doing a mistake, when it's actually a sin and we need to really repent. So a mistake is, it isn't a moral or spiritual offense. It is a misinterpretation or something done unintentionally. And I just want to give a funny example of this, is that, um, so last week, well, for the last few months, 
I realized that I had uh, gained weight. So I'm 45 now. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure something has shifted in my body, and I was starting to gain weight. Now, I was also doing something terrible, which I love chips, so I was eating chips probably pretty much every night, eh, huh? Yep. So there was some reasons why <laughs> my jeans were feeling a little tighter, and uh, my belt wasn't quite going in the same hole, et cetera, et cetera. So I get, on my, I get on my scale, and it says one weight, so then I am all in. So I'm an intentional person, so I cut out the chips. I cut out all the bad stuff. I'm doing 10,000 steps a day, and I, I seem to be losing some weight. And then there just comes a day where it just kind of goes whoosh, Nothing's happening. And I don't know if you've seen the video on Facebook with the dog, and he's jumping on the weights, and it says this caption of, you know, the, the, it's like us, the, the scale's not tell, reading the thing that we want it to read. And so all I could picture, like, it, this was just funny to me. All I could picture was that was me. I'd get on the scale, and I'd be like, come on. <laughs> it's got to be changing. <laughs> my jeans feel different. I'm not eating the chips anymore. It's got to be changing. And I would tell this to my husband, and he's like, yeah. I think the weight's telling you the truth, or the, the scale's telling you the truth. And he, we don't have a doghouse. And, and it's good that I love him. Um, so uh, last week, I go out to Walmart, and I get myself a brand new scale. And it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's modern, it's sleek, it almost looks like glass. And I'm like, okay, now this is going to work because it's brand new. So I get on the scale, and I just about died because the scale was reading 10 pounds even more than the other one. <laughs> And I went, you're kidding me. And I'm like, no, <laughs> this has got to be wrong. Um, you know, so <laughs> what I can do is I can either go, oh, that's a mistake, <laughs> and go, okay, this one is right, <laughs> and I only have 10 more pounds to lose, or I can go, oh, maybe that one's the truth, and I actually have 15 or 20 more pounds to lose. Um, you know, the mis mistake for me will be is if I don't, come into alignment with the truth and start to do what I need to do to get my weight to where I, f I believe that m I have normally been and should be. Um, so I just thought that was a, a funny concept of what a mistake is. It's, it's unintentional and it's a misinterpretation. Um, so, but we can either choose to realign our thinking or think it's just a mistake. A sin is a willful breaking of God's moral law. It is intentional, and the one who sinned is guilty. So you might ask, so if I don't know that a certain behavior is a sin, does that mean I'm not sinning? And the obvious answer to that would be no. God's laws are written, and we are without excuse. So there may be a sin that we will do, and we are not conscious of it, but it is still a sin. We still have bypassed the laws of God because they are written down, and we are without excuse. Um, and it's just like when you go before the courts, you know, the court says, okay, you didn't know about this. You didn't know about that law, but you are without excuse. It is your responsibility to know what that law is so that you don't go past it. It's the same in the kingdom of God. God's laws are written down, so we can't um, go, oh, but God, I didn't know that was a sin. 
Or you might be able to say that, but you, you can't use that as, as an excuse to not repent. Um, that's not a mistake. It is a sin. It's still intentional, even if you're not aware of that law. Um, it's still happening, and it's still in force uh, in our world. First John 3 and 4 says this, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. And I just want to break down that word lawlessness because it's not a word that we necessarily uh, take in our, in our day and in our culture, but it, it just basically means disobedience. Um, and again, you know, if you have traffic laws um, out there, they put up the, the traffic speeding sign, right? And you have that traffic law of you can go this, this speed and no, no faster than that. That is... Um, that is uh, a law that they've put there. And then if we speed, then we have disobeyed that law and we become lawless, right? So it's, a, it's as simple as that. Lawlessness is as simple as disobedience to God's law. And he says that the, you know, when we look at the Bible, the first sin that caused all humankind to fall was disobedience to God's law. God said to Adam and Eve, you may freely eat, from all of these trees in the garden, but this one tree you may not eat. So what God did was he put up a law, basically, and he said you can't trespass that law. If you do, you will be sinning. And when you sin, what you're doing is you're disobeying. So when that very first sin entered into our world, it was a sin of disobedience. It was lawlessness. Romans 5, 18 to 19 says this, One trespass, which was Adam's, led to condemnation for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. You know, when we come into this world as babies, we already come in as sinners. What we're coming in as, someone who needs to learn and submit to God and become obedient to God. We come in with the seed of disobedience. Just on a side note, although I'm not going to get into it day, today, there are two roots to our sinful nature, disobedience and rejection. The moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God had to reject them and turn his face on them. So there are two major roots that we have to deal with in our lives in order to come into complete and utter freedom in the abundance that Jesus Christ has provided for us is we need to repent of disobedience and we need to repent of rejection and, ex and expel rejection from our lives because God wants to bring us into a place of, be of obedience because Jesus Christ came as the only obedient person without sin so that we could be once again also be obedient to God and be accepted into the body of Christ. Isn't that amazing? So there's two roots that we definitely need to look into, but we're dealing with the concept of obedience today. So not only do we need to understand the difference between a mistake and a sin, number two, we also need to understand why we might sin, why we might fall. It's something that we tend not to necessarily want to, to focus on because we're thinking, well, if I focus on why we would fall, then my focus is in the wrong place. And, and that is true. You don't want to focus on that too much. You don't want to be so afraid of it that you're focusing in on it that you actually do fall. But you want to deal with it enough so that you can recognize the signs or the symptoms or the, the triggers or the things that may cause you 
to fall. So we need to understand why we might sin. This is going to help you to learn to stand. There is a um, letter A. There is a constant battle within each of us between two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of this world. And because you ha- we have two kingdoms in us, there is a constant collision of those kingdoms. There's a constant battle between those kingdoms in our lives once we have given our hearts to Christ. You may have noticed that before you came to Christ, maybe to some degree your life seemed like it was at peace. There didn't seem to be much of a conflict in some ways. You may have felt depressed or discouraged or sad or lonely, all those kinds of things, but then you come into the kingdom and suddenly there seems to be, there's this inner peace because of God's presence in your life and there's this amazing joy, but suddenly there seems to be this conflict and it may happen in your family. Maybe it's between you and a spouse. Maybe it's between you and a child because you're now in the kingdom of God and they're, now in the, they're still in the kingdom of the world. So suddenly mindsets begin to clash. You begin to see the things of the kingdom that God wants you to see and, and you begin to see the way God wants you to live so that you're um, upholding the laws of God, but people are still living within the world in in that worldly nature, and they want to do the things of the world because they don't know about the other stuff. And so suddenly there's this clash or this conflict that can happen. So we all have this battle between those two kingdoms in us that can cause us to fall because the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the enemy, is always trying to get us to move outside of the kingdom of God so that the enemy has access to us again. Can I say to you this morning that this is very important, that the enemy longs to get you to trespass the, the boundaries and the laws of God to move into a place of disobedience because he knows that's where he can take you down. When we come outside of the boundaries of God, God says, I'm, I can't protect you there. I can't get to you there. I love you. I'm here for you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. But you're going to have to listen to my voice calling from this side of the boundary to say, come back. Come back within the law. Come back within the boundary. When you come back within the boundary, come back within the law, I can protect you. There are people here who are We have police officers in our congregation, and and I know it doesn't seem like this is what they're doing. And and when you get stopped for speeding or you get a ticket for something, we tend to blame the police officers, and we think they're punishing us, but they're not punishing us. What they're trying to do is get us to um, go back within the boundary of the law. Amen? Why? Because they know that that's where you're going to be protected. If you're speeding and you're going outside of what the law has established as an appropriate amount of speeding and you get into a car accident, that's because you went beyond the boundary. You went beyond the the law of the land. And so that's exactly the same thing that God is wanting to do with us. He, He wants us to stay within the laws and the boundaries of his kingdom so that he can continue to protect us. I just want to give us three biblical examples of the battle that is within each one of us. Number one, Romans 7 and 23 says, I see another law at work, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking, in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. You know, we are no longer subject to um, the kingdom of the enemy, but it will still affect us. 
but we are no longer subject to it. We don't have to submit to it. We can come out from under it, and we can live by the kingdom of God instead. You know, um, once saved, we now have a new nature. Amen? Have you ever heard that scripture that says, the old is gone, the new has come? We have a new nature that is overtaking the old, and the more you feed the new nature the more it comes alive, and the more you starve the old nature, the more it dies. And if you think about it like this, if you were to have two wolves in your, uh, in your backyard, and you were to go out every day, and you fed the one, but you starved the other, which one's going to be alive? Which one's going to be barking at you and looking for more and getting hungry? It's the one that's getting fed, right? The one that is starving is going to eventually die. You know, this morning sometimes we need to ask ourselves, what kingdom am I feeding this morning? Am I feeding the kingdom of God or am I feeding the kingdom of the enemy? Which one do I want to starve and which one do I want to feed? You know, so there's that, that conflict in our, in our nature. God wants that new nature to come alive, but he says you've got to feed it. You have to feed that new nature. You've got both working inside of you as a Christian, and the one that's going to stay alive is the one that you're going to feed. So you need to make the decision this morning, which nature are you going to feed? Number two, James 4 and 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I know this scripture well. <laughs> God just totally convicted me when I was uh, a new Christian and I had just been married for a year. And in that next year, God was really convicting me with this particular scripture because prior to Richard and I getting married, I was a single woman and I could do what I want. And, and I had this ability of going, you could spend time with other people and you could pretend, pretend, pretend. You could smile and you could say, I'm okay, and all those kinds of things. But if something really hurt me or angered me or affected me, I would just leave the situation. I would leave the person. I would go home and I would deal with it on my own. And then I would come back the next day and go, I'm fine. It's all good. It's been dealt with. But then I married my husband and I'm living with him 24-7 and there's nowhere to go. <laughs> so I ended up... <laughs> fighting and quarreling with my husband because there was this nature inside of me that wanted to win. I had a very argumentative um, defense mechanism that if, if he said something that triggered something in me that was tender, he got walloped with my arguments, and I would not give in until I won. Um, but then God began to, I, kept, I was you know, be careful what you pray, because I said, God, why are we having all of these fights and contentions? And he says, well, it's because of your own fleshly desires battling within you that you're fighting and you're quarreling with your husband because of your own pride. And so I know that particular scripture well, but that is another um, form of the battle that's inside of us. It's, it's that fleshly desire that wants to be fed for whatever it is, and we need to starve it. Number three, Galatians 5 and 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How does that happen? You know, it says, that if you look at the word Spirit, it's got a capital on it, which means it's a pronoun, which means it's speaking of the Holy Spirit as a person. And you know, the Holy Spirit is a submissive person. He submits to Jesus Christ. He submits to the Father. And you know what? He'll even submit to us. The Bible says, do not quench the spirit of the living God. And that word quench means that we cause the Holy Spirit to submit to us at times. But we are not to cause the Holy Spirit to submit to us. Why does he do that? Because he's a gentleman. 
Um, but God says that we are to walk by the Spirit. So we are to walk by a submissive attitude, not a rebellious, disobedient attitude. And in so doing, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I just want to quickly go through how can we stand in this battle and win? Obviously, by learning to fall correctly, by learning to fall up. And you think about gravitational force. Um, if there's military people here, too, that might have done parachuting. Have you parachuted? Yes? <laughs> and I know, Jeff, your brother has as well. Um, when you're parachuting and you jump out of the plane, there's this gravitational force that's obviously pulling you to the earth. Um, and depending on how you fall, I mean, if you tuck yourself in, you're going to fall with, with a greater force because that, that gravity is pulling you down. But if you spread eagle or you turn yourself sideways to the air, you're going to cause that force to slow down. And then if you put up your parachute, then the, the, um, the opposite force, so the equal opposite force, is going to cause you to, for a season, go upward, or it's going to seem like you go upward. And it's going to really slow you down uh, in comparison to the gravitational force that's pulling you to the earth. And it's the same thing when it comes to sin, that gravitational force that if we sin and we, when we fall right into it, there's just a downfall, you're going to quickly descend. But God's grace says that his grace abounds even more, and his grace comes and it gives us an equal or opposite force that pulls us upward when we repent and we receive his grace, Amen. And Romans 5 and 20 says this, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I think that is absolutely awesome. And again, you know, we have this battle, this gravitational force of sin, but we are not subjected to it. We have the grace of God that causes us and allows us to create an equal or opposite force to that gravitational pull, and his grace abounds even more, and we can rise above, we can fall up because of his strength that comes and rests upon us when we seek him. Number three, we need to know how do we fall? How do we fall up? So number one, we give it to God, you know, and as we give it to God, we need to recognize that we have a mediator. First Timothy 2 and 5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So when we're learning to fall correctly, we need the grace of God, and we need to recognize that there is a mediator, Jesus Christ, who comes and stands on our behalf. We also need to recognize that our mediator understands our humanity. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, um, sorry, sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human, in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. See, we need to, um, so first we need to give it to God. We need to recognize we have a mediator. Our mediator understands our humanity, and then we need to acknowledge and confess our sins. Psalm 32 and 6 says this, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, continually unfolding the past till all is untold. The enemy loves to keep us in shame by covering everything up. God loves to put us into grace and to cover us with his glory by asking us to uncover it and confess it to him, and then we are completely forgiven. And then fourth, we need to repent of our sin, letter D. 
We need to change our minds and turn away from our sins. So repentance, we get scared by that word repentance, but it's literally, it's a mindset. It's going, I was thinking this way, but God has convinced me of my sin, and now I'm repenting and I'm turning this way. I'm doing a 100-degree turn. I'm turning away from my sins. Ezekiel 18 and 30 says this, Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, Each one according to his ways declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all of your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Repentance becomes how we fall up. It's a beautiful word. It's a wonderful word. It's the thing that gives us that equal and opposite gravitational force that moves us upward instead of downward into a free fall. Repentance is beautiful. You know, um, there was something, and I quickly gonna, I was going to do a demonstration. If I were to fill up this backpack of all of the things that we tend to, um, tend to be tempted by, Maybe it's drinking, maybe it's movies we watch, maybe it's books we read, maybe it's uh, behaviors that we're involved in, jealousy, envy, um, pride, all those kinds of things. If we were to fill up this backpack, and we tend to try to resist all of those things instead of dealing with the root of those things. So we tend to try to resist. I'm not going to look at pornographic magazines. I'm not going to do that behavior. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm not going to lie again. I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to resist it. And we put these into a backpack. And then what we do is we, without repentance, we put it on our, on our backs and we say, okay, I can't, it's not in front of me anymore. I can't see it. I'm resisting it. And, but what we do is we just put it behind us, but we're still carrying the weight of it. So I believe that the enemy loves to keep us trying to resist all these individual things instead of dealing with the real root of it, which is disobedience to God's law. And what happens is God says in James 4 and 7, we tend to read it this way. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we try to resist, we try to resist, and we try to close the door, and we try to say, the enemy, you can't have me. I'm resisting you. I'm closing that door. But we put the backpack on, and that's as far as we go. But do you know what? That that scripture actually says, it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and the enemy has to flee. We forget about the submission to God part. And we think just with our words, just with our actions of resisting something, we're going to overcome the enemy, but we're not. You know, that word submit, if I were to say, if Richard was my, well, he is kind of my boss, my head of my home. Um, but if, you know, if Pastor Cameron was here and he asked me to submit something to him, what is he asking me to do? He's asking me to hand it over, Right? So when God says, submit to God, resist the devil, and the enemy will flee to you, what he's saying is, hand it over to me. Give it to me. Repent. Resist the devil, and the enemy will flee from you. Maybe some of you this morning, you've been carrying backpacks on your back, and you think you're doing, you're doing exactly what you need to do to get free, but God is saying to you this morning, There is something greater. The enemy has deceived you and been blinding you all these years. You can't get free because you're merely resisting a behavior or a temptation. But I want you to repent of a disobedient heart and a disobedient attitude. 
But remember that repentance is a beautiful word. Repentance is a thing that's going to cause us to fall up and cause us to stand. You know, again, the enemy wants you to keep resisting the stuff without submitting the disobedient heart that's behind it because he knows then he's just dealing with you and he's not dealing with God. So the, the longer you carry the backpack on your back, you're resisting the enemy, but he still has access to your life. He's still fighting you. You're still fighting him all on your own. You have no grace or gravitational pull of equal or opposite force. But the moment we take off that backpack, we submit it and we give it to God, then that grace comes on us and we have the strength to fall up. We have the strength to stand because suddenly the enemy's fighting with God and not you. It's God's strength for our weakness. And then the last thing is we need to receive from God. We need to receive his forgiveness and his purification. 1 John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then we also need to receive his grace, which is, again, his strength for our weakness. Psalm 37, 23, and 24 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Proverbs 24 and 16 says, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he will get up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. Remember King Saul and King David. So who is the righteous? They are the repentant. Who is the wicked? The self-willed unrepentant. They have no one to hold their hand and keep them from falling. But we this morning have some, has somebody who comes alongside of us and holds our hands to keep us from falling. He says we will stumble, but we will not fall. We have somebody holding our hand when we utilize that beautiful word of repentance, of disobedience. You know, um, a quote from the, a ski instructor says this, part of the reason why I think people don't want to fall down on a ski slope has less to do with getting hurt and more to do with a wounded sense of pride. You know, you think of, again, King Saul and King David. King Saul had this, this sense of pride that kept him, and the pride was his downfall. We know the scripture that says, pride cometh before a fall, but King David had humility, and God says, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. So I oppose the self-willed, but I give grace to the repentant. If we want to fall up, then we first must learn how to fall down. If we want to stand, if we want to fall up, we must learn how to fall down in repentance. You know, um, the enemy says often, you know, it comes down to when it comes to disobedience. The reason why that's the core is it because it's always about our free will. God wants us to freely give our wills over to him in repentance. And the Bible says this. You know, the enemy likes to say, I'm going to do such and such. I will do such and such. But we are to say, not my will, but yours be done. And the only time it's good for us to say, I will, is exemplified in this scripture. And I'm closing. Micah 7, 7 to 8 says, but I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will stand up. 
this morning, if you are here and you've been carrying a backpack of things that you've been trying to resist, I believe wholeheartedly that God's message for you of freedom and abundance is I'm asking you to repent of a disobedient heart and a disobedient attitude so that I can give you the grace from your humility and give you that equal and opposite force of my grace so that you will no longer have a downfall, but you will fall up and you will stand this morning. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.